This is episode 239 of the 200 Churches Podcast. And I mailed him a copy of The Cure, and like two weeks later, I'm setting up for a band gig, and my phone goes off, and it's Mike, and he is just, Steve, this book, he says, I've never looked at scripture this way. He said, this changes everything, and he was in tears, and that, I mean, I don't I give a thousand books away. It was worth it for that one 10-minute phone call with my friend Mike that said, this is what this has just done for me. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry. The heckle and jekyll of ministry podcasts. Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. I'm Johnny Craig, and I am staring in the beautiful face of the man himself. Jeff Cady, good to be with you, Johnny, tonight on our, in our digital sound studio. I like that. Now, Jeff, your hair's getting long there, Jeff. It's getting fluffy. I, I told my wife, I you need, need to get cut. it cut. She's like, no, when you get it cut, I don't know what number you use, she said, but I can see your scalp in the back, and you look like a big knucklehead. So she didn't want me to get, but it's way too fluffy. Yes, and oh, gray. Oh man, I, you got a lot of hair going it's on right now. It's the light. Is, it's the light behind me with a camera and stuff. I just think I moved away, and you you got wild all of a sudden, yeah. growing your hair. You're I'll gonna have a cut. man bun soon at this rate. <laughs> I don't think I got to worry about the man bun. <laughs> probably not. Oh, That's well. probably true. Well, hey, welcome to all of our listeners. Right, wonderful month of August in the summer. Hot, hot, yeah, hot. Yeah, this is like we're actually current for once. We are. Most of the episodes that have come out this summer were, they were preloaded. I mean, they were so good that nobody knew they were preloaded. And we joked about that a little <laughs> bit in the previous weeks, but it feels good to be like back to day of. You I, know I, what I mean? I like it when you pat us on the back like that. They were so good, nobody knew they were preloaded. Dude, this summer we had Stanley Harwas and Walter Brueggemann, and yeah, I mean, they were good. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> well, hey, we got to get on the stick. We got to get our ducks in a row for yeah, the fall. Yeah, that's true. Right? It's a different day and age. It's a different day and age. I think we should let our people know right now, there's going to be, so tonight you have an interview that I'm not a part of. This is going to become pretty normal, I think, is yeah, that we'll have ho- one not man that normal. Well, yeah, I hope it's not that normal, but I think it'll be... They'll be part of the rhythm now is these one man interviews. And we've done a few of those in the past, but oh, yeah. we'll always we'll always try to get together for this piece right here, the in and the out. Hey, we've done our fair share of one man interviews in the past. Yeah. That's you, for sure. usually you're the one man. <laughs> well, yeah, but you've done some too. I remember that. I night. gotta start carrying my water. Well, that night that I was sick, I was down in the living room and you had to go up and I think you recorded three Three episodes with John Finkeldi, boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, they weren't very good because it was just oh, me. they were very good. <laughs> they were really I'm good. I'm nervous. I'm nervous to do episodes by myself. <laughs> I'm just like, you, you've always got the right questions, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Good guests. That's the key. Good hey, guests help the whole thing go well. Hey, today, tonight's episode, and this is very current. We're recording, we're recording this intro and outro the night before this episode is released and I recorded the body of this episode, uh, this evening. So that's fresh off the shelf, man. Steve Mason. Uh, he was right in here. He's a tech guy. He's a counselor. He's a friend. He's 
a yes. sound guy. He's a bass player. He's a theology buff. What what he's what all isn't those Steve Mason? Uh, his life got changed in the last five years. He and his wife both their their lives Crazy. completely changed in the last five years. They came basically when you came to our church, yeah. yep. and we talk about his story. And it's really it's the story of the small church, and yeah. it's the story of small church ministry and the small church pastor. The kind yes. of a relationship you've had with him and I've had with him. If we were in a church of, you know, a mega church, we we probably would never have happened. No, 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 no way. Steve's an incredible guy, and I feel so blessed that my time in Orange City overlapped with his time in the church. Like, basically, our first Sundays were the same, yeah. really. I mean, we met at the first church picnic like two weeks after I got there. And we we were just friends ever since. He helped me become, you know, involved in worship ministry and playing my guitar and doing things I'd never done before and just such an encouragement. So I'm glad that our guests are going to get to hear his story and, and hopefully it helps them reflect, did I say our guests, our listeners. <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad right. our listeners get to listen to Steve's story and we'll get a chance to reflect on the impact that their small church has had on people's lives. Yeah, and our and our guests are saying, "Wow, we like this new mellow Johnny. He calls us guests. We feel special." <laughs> Man, it's so weird to not do this. Like, there's energy in the room that I am just missing by not being there. But well, it's also late, and you just did your your oldest boy seven year old party it's today. It's true. So it was quite the day. It was quite the day. Squeeze the energy yeah. out of you. Well, hey, yeah. let's let's get right into uh, this conversation I got to have with Steve Mason. Yes, Steve, you do have a face for radio. Hey. I'm here with Steve Mason, my good friend and church member, and also you, Steve, you are from the beginning, an inaugural podcast listener to this podcast. That's true. I have been a big fan ever since you guys started doing yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been around. We got to know you about six months before we started the podcast, and you've been one of the guys in our church who's been the most encouraging to us. And you should know that Steve has supplied us with equipment in those early days on several occasions to get this thing going and to have the phenomenal sound that we've had for so long. So Yes, I'm totally responsible for the quality of the podcast. <laughs> so, That's right. So thank you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, you kind of thought it's crazy that I'm asking you to be on the podcast. Yeah, I thought it was a little odd. Because, yeah. you know, we're just friends and muckety-mucks yep. or whatever. But I know that your story is a story that small church pastors need to hear. And it's a story that you're, the story that you and your wife have to tell is something that's encouraged me for the last five years. So take us back to 2014. I'm sorry, further back. Take us yes. back to 2012, and then you could set up whatever context you want to. But, but kind of give us, give us uh, what was your life like in the summer or the spring or summer of 2012? And then maybe you can give us a little background as to why. Sure, sure. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Well, uh, I guess I could start off by saying that uh, I was raised in a very legalistic type church. And when I was 18, I sort of bolted from that. I really didn't figure at that point that I was ever going to be enough to measure up to what I was told God expected from me. And so I just sort of put that all behind me and carried on with life and uh, powered my way through, I guess, for lack of a better term, and not knowing any different. In 2011, 
circumstances around my father and his passing sort of led me into a, I guess, uh, darkness that I hadn't experienced before. Um, the doctor said it was a clinical depression, and I had never felt anything like it and was really at a loss as to what to do with it. I was unable to function for my wife and my kids and my job, and uh, it just was a very dark time, a darkness that I had not experienced. I had heard about it, never really understood it till it happened. And you were at that time, you weren't a part of any church and uh, hadn't uh, been for how long? I, since I was 18, I had not stepped foot in the church. I had really no community. I maybe had one friend that I could maybe trust that what I have really wasn't regularly in touch with. So it was really my wife and I just kind of living life on our own. And when this thing hit me, uh, I was 53 years old and it was literally, I, I can't say that I was suicidal, but I do clearly remember laying awake at night and asking the God that I thought I knew if he could just take me in my sleep so I wouldn't have to deal with the pain and suffering that I was under and inflicting on the people around me because of where I was at. So, and this is a common story. I've, I've learned since, since that depression that how, just how terribly common this is. Um, we're all touched by it at some point. So 2012, uh, in the summer, this guy came along into your office and I think it was probably late summer. Actually, it was, uh, it's a little hazy to be honest with you, Jeff, but it was, it was spring, it was maybe late spring, early summer. And in the office building I was working, I was an IT guy and at this office I was in rented office space. And there was a gentleman at the other end of the building who I'd never met. Uh, one day in the midst of all this, I was sitting at my desk trying to figure out even just how to function, and secretly hoping nobody that I worked for figured out that I was completely incapacitated. This guy come over into my office, and he just said he wanted to talk to me. I said, okay. That's a little weird. I went into a conference room with him, and he introduced himself, and he said, I understand you're struggling with some depression. And that was it. As soon as he said that, I just started vomiting everything that I'd been feeling to this stranger. And he just listened to me. He didn't try to, he didn't talk to me about God. He didn't give me advice. He just said, I've been there. I know what it's like. Tell me about it. And he left. And the next day he came back and we did it again, which was super odd because literally after he left me the first day, I thought, and I said this to my wife that night, that guy will never come near me again after what he heard <laughs> today. There's no way that dude is coming back. Huh. But he came back, and we did it again. And probably, again, Jeff, I it's it's just so foggy now, but it I feels like he came back every day for two months. I'm sure it wasn't like yeah. that. But, but he just kept coming back. And through the course of this, I started to experience some relief. Now, I had been through all the, the, the medications. They didn't work well on me. I had bad reactions to them. And I would be the last guy you know on earth to say that medications you know, are bad in any way because I fully believe that God gave us the power of medicine and doctors 
to treat people with these kind of things. It just didn't work for me. Through the course of this, one day he walked in and he handed me a book, and the book title was The Cure, and it was a small book. And when I saw the title, The Cure, I just thought immediately, this is a book about a cure for depression, probably some dissertation on serotonin reuptake inhibitor medications. Hmm. Yeah. He just said he thought I'd like it. I took it home that night. I opened it up. I started reading it. I read the whole thing that night, and I cried through most of it. And it was the first time in my life that I got a message that said God is not disgusted with you, that he loves you unconditionally, that his grace is enough for anything that you could do, ever do, have done, even turning my back on him for all those years. It was just a totally different view of God than I had growing up. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so that ignited something in me that, you know, I, I, you know me, Jeff, I'm not a, not, not a religious jargon guy, but it really just sort of lit the spirit in me. And it was, that was kind of like a light switch when I stopped all of a sudden wallowing in all my regret and all my self-pity and all my inward-looking thought patterns and started seeing myself as something of value outside of all the things that I measured myself with. Yeah, because this book, basically, by reading this book, you were starting to experience the forgiveness of God, yeah. the, the cleansing and freedom of grace, and your worth as someone whom God loved. Right. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly, because I had I had got to a point in my life where I was looking backwards at my life, and I think this is what fed into the downward spiral for me, is you, you get to an age and you start to reflect back and you see all the things you wanted to accomplish and maybe didn't, all those dreams you had that maybe never came true. Um, you're measuring yourself against what society says you should be by now, career-wise, financially, all these things. And I felt like I'd come up short on everything. And so it was just uh, the process of beating myself up over all these sensed failures. And I, and I was identifying myself with all that instead of identifying myself as a child of God. And that's what this particular book told me was that my identity is not rooted in my failures or my lost dreams or my regrets that my identity is rooted firmly in Jesus and Christ's life within me. And that, that was pivotal for me. So that night you read that book all the way through. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, <laughs> it's funny. The first thing I wanted to do was run out and grab people off the street by the shirt collar and ask them if they knew, <laughs> knew about this. Hmm. It was just, it was, I was so excited. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, I don't want to make it sound like it was just like this kaboom, I was better. It wasn't really like that, but it was just light. It just finally showed me some light, and it was enough to help me claw my way out of that dark. And as I was getting better and feeling better, I I maintained the relationship with this man that had come to me. We became close friends, and he's uh, kind of a philanthropic guy, and he's got a charitable organization I wanted to 
give back. So I was feeling like this man walked with me. He showed me something that I never knew. It changed my life. Now I want to give this back somehow. So I went to him one day, sort of as I'm recovering, and I said, hey, you know, can I be can I do something with one of your organizations? Can I be a mentor? Can I do something? And well, and he very wise guy. Uh, well, not I mean wise guy, smart yeah. guy. Well, he's a wise guy. Well, he too, is. But... Yeah, he is a wise guy. That's true. Um, he, uh, he kind of steered me off of that. I think he knew that, you know, I, even though I thought I was better, I probably had a ways to go. He steered me more towards this thing where he's like, uh, well, you know, Steve, we have got this little group that gets together on Sunday nights just some couples that come to our house and I'm, well, what's that all about? And he goes, well, we're just living life together. So, well, that sounds like fun. So I went home and told my wife and she's like, what kind of a weird deal are you getting, getting us into here? And I said, well, let's, let's just go check it out. So we went and about two or three Sunday nights into that on the way home, my wife goes, you know, this is a small group Bible study thing, don't you? I said, I said no. <laughs> You didn't even know it. You I didn't, didn't realize. Didn't it. really realize that. I said I sort of figured there was something to do with this church they go to, but I guess I never. Nobody cracked a Bible. It was just <laughs> I figured. So pastors, pastors, wouldn't you love if your small church ministry could be so lovingly imperceptible to proselyting that that nobody would even know that they were being that they were being told any kind of a message but that they would there would be this palpable love yeah. from a group of people yeah. and and th- this this is the story is awesome to yeah. me you gotta give me just a second while i google that word what was that? <laughs> Pro, well proselyting is when you go and you try to get somebody from one religion oh. into your religion oh, okay. basically it. for the for the purpose of you know boosting up your religion oh okay. but it's not really because you love and care so much for that person mm-hmm. but yeah. But this guy and these people that you were getting to know really cared about you and Pam. Oh my word! I had never really. It was just. It just felt so right. It just felt like we belonged there. And so all of a sudden, my wife and I had community that we hadn't had, and she was excited about it, and I was excited about it, and so we kept. And it was like after we realized what it was, I said something to my friend and he's like, well, you know, yeah, we're kind of affiliated with this church, but you don't have to, I mean, we don't, there's, you don't need to go to church. It's not what this is about. But Pam and I decided that we, we would. And so this was, we came to Dover church in the fall of 2012. I remember the very first Sunday was a church picnic and I sat next to you as we ate and I told you I was a bass player and you're like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> we need a bass player. <laughs> I remember that. I remember. And, and, and it was Johnny's kind of first foray yep. into our church ministry. Yep. And I remember he and his wife and his son at the time were there, and uh, and you were a new guy. Yeah. And uh, your friend told me about you, yeah. that you were coming that day. And so I was kind of wat- watching out for you, and... And you talked about playing bass. And I think I asked you that day, well, how long has it been since you've played bass? Yeah. And you said 15 years? Yeah, at least, yeah. Something like that. And I yeah. said, well, you know, you ought to try. You ought to try it at, at our church. Yeah. But but from that Sunday night meeting, uh, didn't he tell you, and your the buddy we're talking about here is Jan. Yeah. Um, and Jan said to you, hey, we're going to study this book, this cure book, mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. Yep. Why don't you come to yep. our class? That's right. 
And that was kind of the stepping stone. That was huge. To you staying for the service. Yep. Yep. We did. So we did. The, yeah. Because the book that I had just read that had literally turned the corner for my wife and I, both of us, because after Pam, after I read it and Pam saw the effect that this message had on me, she read it and it was it had the same effect on her. So, I mean, it was praise God, Pam and I were both all of a sudden going in the same direction with this. And, and, and it was really, it was just the original good news. It really is. It's just the original. <laughs> what it was. It's just another way. It's just a book, a book, a fan, just a well-written little book that just has a, describes the original good news in a way that resonated with me at that time. So you, you believed in God and you had been a religious person to some degree, but now you became a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, yeah. Religious yeah, and that's sort of my the militant grace in me, I guess, that still I've kind of always, the word religion still sort of gets me a little knot in my stomach um, because I, I, I think there really is a difference between religion and following Jesus. Oh, and that's the difference because yeah. religion never worked for you. Right. But when you found Jesus and yep. the original good news, yep. Yep. Th- that was it. Yep, and this is sort of my lay my layperson's thing, I guess, is I'm not, since I'm not a pastor and I hope none of you pastors out there cringe at this, but I just think that following Jesus is not necessarily religion. No. Oh, absolutely not. Just, that's just the way I think about it. Um, so, so the, in that fall you decided to pick up, do you remember being at your house and going to find your bass guitar? Oh Yeah. Tell oh, us yeah. about that. Oh yeah, yep. Oh yeah, I had. Well, I knew where it was at. Yeah, I mean, I did. I had. It's not like I hadn't touched it. I just hadn't done it for so long. But it was so interesting because, along about that same time, um, Johnny was had just come here, and so all of a sudden I was I I met Johnny, and for whatever reason that Johnny and I I'm twice his age, and we just had a bond and I, I just, Johnny has a way of doing that with guys I, twice as I, he really does. I, I know just, what you mean. I love him so much. And I, and so Johnny was, Johnny's one of my dearest friends, I guess. And I don't know what all exactly how that all happened, but I do remember that I like, I, I'm a bass player. I'm not a music reader. And our, our church at the, you know, is very musical. And the first time I was put on the worship team, it was like I was overwhelmed because there was sheet music in front of me and I had no idea what any of that meant. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what this is. And the guy that was leading worship would come up there and he'd point at the thing and go, Steve, you got to do this. And he's pointing to these dots. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that is. But, that was almost the end of it right oh there. Oh my gosh, I, my head was, was about ready to blow <laughs> off that night. I mean, I was just, you know, I'm a, I was recovering from depression and now I'm throwing myself into a, a church and I got people <laughs> giving me sheet music and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I got through that and that was really weird because it was like uh, a month later that Jeremiah Hollis, uh, yes. a Christian recording artist, came through and and did a, and played at our church and asked me and I got asked to play bass with them and that was so exciting. And Jeremiah has been on the podcast yep. two times. Yes, he has. And in the in the uh, outro that what Johnny and I are going to come back after this conversation, I will tell you the episodes that Jeremiah was in. But uh, a guy from uh, Australia. Yep, yep, Jeremiah. Yep, and I think he's touring the country with his wife right now, doing music wherever he can. So it's sort of like. All this, just all of a sudden, I've got a small group community surrounding my wife and I. I've got a church family. I've got two pastors who I love dearly, who now are all of a sudden, I've got, I've got friends. 
And something has always fascinated me about ministry. I mean, maybe more so since I met you. I think just when I met you, I just wanted so much to understand what your life was like as a pastor. And I I think you've (laughs) seen that over the years as I just, I wanted to see behind the curtain and what is... How, what is the workings? What's Jeff's life like? What's a pastor's life like? And it just fascinated me. And I got so much encouragement from this church uh, and from you. And I just always felt like I just wanted to always give that encouragement back in whatever way I could. So if it was just coming in here and working on sound stuff when nobody was around or helping Lois with the worship team or helping you with podcast equipment, whatever it was, it just gave me great joy to know that I was just being part of something bigger than myself. So that was really beautiful. And then Johnny, uh, you know, crazy Johnny, he comes in here and he's like that for the next <laughs> summer. He's like, hey, let's have a block party. And everybody's like, I don't know if we should have a block party. And Johnny's going, yeah, we're having a block party. <laughs> and so we had a block party and Johnny pulled it off magnificently. And he had this little band that he invited and it was some guys my age and they didn't have a bass player, so when they got done playing, I went up and I said, hey, you guys need a bass player. So for four years now, I've been playing in a band again. That is so crazy. I would not have remembered that when we had that block party and the usual suspects yep. played that you weren't a part. But that's right. You yep. weren't a part of that group then. Nope, I wasn't. I harassed and stalked them until they let me in. You know, And there's so many things that have happened because of Jan just walking into my life and not trying to fix me and not trying to do anything other than listen. And so I've really, you know, I've really tried to, oh, I don't know. It's just like I just want to be that to somebody else. I just want to be that way for somebody else. And the only way I've found to do that is to just remind myself and surround myself with people that will also remind me that it's Christ's life in me that I'm living out. And it's the times when I'm leaning on that and really trusting that I, it's just, it's when I'm, that's when I'm at my best. I'm, I'm Christ and Steve and it feels right. It's not often and it's fleeting when it happens, but it's, it's, it's an amazing mindset. So we had, uh, we had the block party in the summer, the fall of 2013. Yeah. We had started this podcast in January of 2013. You had read the book, The Cure, and all I heard about as your pastor was, Jeff, you got to preach and tell us who we are in Christ. You got to <laughs> tell us who we are in Christ. Jeff, stop preaching the law. Stop <laughs> preaching rules. Stop telling us what. And you were like, you were hot to trot on the message of grace. And, and for me, it was thrilling. Okay. For me, I, and I was kind of learning with you, right? Because, uh, I grew up in a somewhat legalistic, uh, fundamentalist background that did not give weight to the message of grace uh, like it should. So I was kind of learning, you know, looking over your shoulder and reading the book in the shadows, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, what are these people talking about here? And and at the same time, I was going to seminary and learning and growing from that, and we're doing this podcast. And at some point, you, I think, and Jan and some people went to visit this guy who wrote the book, mm-hmm. one of the authors yeah. of this 
Cure book, John yep. Lynch. Yep, and he's been on the podcast. So when was it that you first met him? Well, it wasn't that, when he came here, was no, it? No, 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 it wasn't. It was because after I read the book, it had such an impact on me um, that I kind of sort of stalked one of the authors on Facebook, John. There was written by three guys that are in the True Face ministry out of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Bruce McNichol, Bill Thrall, and John Lynch. And Bill and John have both been on your podcast. Um, but John was kind of the guy that, that, that put the words in the book. He's sort of the, uh, the writer guy. Yeah. And uh, I found him on Facebook and friended him and we messaged back and forth some, and now this guy's got, you know, he's got hundreds of people after his time, you know, he's a, uh, but anyway, uh, just so happened that, that, that fall of 2012, after coming off of that book and sort of getting into church and everything, I heard, uh, I think it was Jan that told me that. John Lynch and the True Face guys were going to be in Cedar Rapids doing a weekend on what they call the Cure Experience, where they just spend a weekend at a church in Cedar Rapids with basically workshops with groups that go over this message. Sounds like a cult to me. It does. It really does. It was very <laughs> cult-like. Um, and so you and your wife pack it up, and yep. you guys head down there yep, for that yep. weekend. Yeah, we six-hour drive. We went over there for that weekend. And here's an interesting little thing that I'll throw in here, too, and I don't, I don't take too much time, but there's another thing that happened in the middle of this. I had a teenage son, and he was about 16 at the time, maybe 17, and my relationship with my son had been very bad for a few years. It was almost like when he turned 13, um, I had just lost the relationship with my son. It was very strained, um, mostly because I was trying to be the dad that, you know, I, the rule guy, these are my, this is my house. These are my rules. You do this. Cause I said, so that kind of a guy, that's what I was like. And that doesn't, that doesn't work well on teenage boys as I should have known. It didn't work on me. <laughs> that's all you knew though. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's all I knew. So one afternoon in the late summer of 2012, I was looking at some videos on YouTube of true face, John, it'd been John, 2013. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was before you went to Cedar Rapids anyway, right? Yes, yeah. yes. This, it, this, Yeah, this thing with my son, where my son, he'd wanted this car. We helped him get this car. It was this car of his dreams. And he was out, and he got hooked up with a party, and he was drinking. And uh, 11.30 one night, I got a call from, uh, from my son saying, Dad, um, I'm with a, a, a sheriff. I'm on this gravel road, and you need to come out here. And so, and I was so mad, but earlier, earlier that very day, I'd been looking at some videos that true face had on YouTube, just randomly looking through stuff. I was just, just enjoying some of their stuff and I had it up on the computer and I'd left it up on the computer. Well, went to bed 1130. I get this call. I wake Pam up. I am so mad, Jeff. I am so mad at my kid that I usually when I'm mad, I'm kind of loud and I was, this was the deadly silent kind of mad. I couldn't even, I was talking like Clint Eastwood. It was like, <laughs> this is, and I was, but I, and Pam knew that I was really mad. And we went and went to where my son was. And the uh, officer had been talking to my son and decided to let my son go. Didn't arrest him, didn't give him a ticket, sent him home with us. His mother took him home. I took his car, and I was still so mad. I just remember just ram ramrodding that car all the way home. I just wanted to destroy. The, I just wanted to destroy the. I was so mad, and I got home, and there he was in the dining room. And I said to him, "I'll never forget this." 
I said it as mean as I possibly could. I said, I can't even look at you right now. You need to get your hind end to bed, and I'll deal with you tomorrow. And then that was it. And then Pam was mad at me. She went to bed, and there I sat. Now it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting at the computer. I click on one of the videos that John Lynch does, and it's called, it was a video called What Does Protection Look Like? And here's John sitting at his kitchen table talking to me, saying, well, I've got this friend that called me up and was just all upset about how his teenage boy was acting, and he didn't know what to do with his teenage boy anymore, and and what should I do with my kid? He's just making life miserable at our house. And, and John said his my response was to my friend, you need to take him out for ice cream and tell him you love him. And as soon as I heard those words, I just melted. And all the anger just flew out of me onto the floor. And I started crying. And I walked into my son's dark bedroom. And I sat down on the bed. And I could feel him sobbing. And it was pitch dark in there, and it was the first time I just said to my son, you know what, Justin, it's going to be fine. I love you. This doesn't make, this doesn't define who you are. We'll get through this. You know, I love you. And it was just this moment, and it was just this beautiful turning point in my relationship with my son. And it, again, it was because of this message of grace of how much the Father loves me, and now I get to love my son like that, as nearly as a human being can, imperfectly, but finally, differently, in a way that was going to make a difference in our relationship. And that was when I went to Cedar Rapids with my wife to see the True Face guys, I had it on my heart that I wanted to get a minute with John Lynch and tell him, the impact that that little video. So I'm going there. My wife and I are going there because of the book. And now I'm going there with a mission to tell him this video that you just did casually at your kitchen table for three minutes did this for me. And so Saturday during a break of the workshop, I got a hold of John and he knew who I was from Facebook. And um, I just said, can I have a couple minutes? And he said, well, let's just have lunch. So we went and sat and had lunch and I told him this story. And it was just, we've had a bond ever since. Um, He's become a dear friend. And through that friendship, I was able to, you know, he came here to to speak locally, and we got him over here to your podcast. He was in the luxurious and opulent podcast studio. It was actually, it was in, it was in when you're, uh, it was actually, you're a little less opulent than you are now. I don't know. I think it might have been more. (laughs) Well, there was was carpet in the other one. We spent over three hours up in that room, and we just recorded like two 30-minute yeah, thirty minute uh, episode. Oh, we had fun. Oh, wait, great we great pie. pie. Your wife sent pie oh, over. Oh, oh, great, good pie. Good, good pie covers a multitude so, of sins. So since that night, so that was that was the summer of twenty fourteen. That was that yeah, was actually March or April. Yeah, March. Yeah, of twenty fourteen. And Jan and I took John back to the airport when he was going back to Phoenix, and we were talking, and we were talking a little bit. Jan and I were talking to John a little bit about our story, and then. A week later, I'm driving home from work, and I get a call, and it's from John, and True Face wants Jan and I to fly out to Phoenix for their board meeting and give our story to their board and then to the, their church out there in Phoenix. So Jan and I and our wives got to fly out to Phoenix and be part of that beautiful weekend and got to meet a lot of the folks that support the True Face ministry and, 
and hang out and just just amazing time and then oh gosh it's just so many things jeff it's like you went on a cruise with on, yeah. true face guys yeah. and yeah what was the group uh mercy me mercy me yep yep john this was another interesting thing about this about this whole thing was sometime in the middle of all that Pam and I went to the Washington Pavilion in Sioux Falls to see Mercy Me. It was an evening with Mercy Me. I I I'm not into hadn't been into Christian music. I really knew Mercy Me had this I can only imagine song. Really didn't know nothing about him. Pam wanted to go see him. I said fine. So we went. Great music. I was really surprised by how really how good the music was and it wasn't what I expected. And when Bart Millard of Mercy Me, they took a break and he gave the the you know they always have the ministry part of the Christian concert. Bart came up to talk, and the way he was talking, I said to my wife, I said, "He sounds like he's read this book." You heard this message before, yeah. It sounds like he's talking cure stuff. And when I got home, I mess that night. I messaged John Lynch, and John replied back, and he says, "Yeah, where do you think he got it from?" And it turned out that John and Bart. Bart had read the book about the same time I did, and during part one of Bart's things he was saying at the concert was that for all the years he's been in Christian music, he always felt like it was his duty to get up and deliver a message that made the audience feel bad about themselves, so that they'd want to go out and be better for God. And he said, then he read this book and he saw the original good news gospel of God's scandalous grace, and Bart and the band turned that thing around, and now they're preaching grace. They're singing grace. It's just incredible. And it was all—and so we, we had this thing in common. The Mercy Me guys, and and John wrote the book, and they read the book, and I read the book, and I don't know. It's just it's craziness when I hear myself talk about it. But we wound up, Pam and I, there was going to be in 2015, there was a Mercy Me at Sea Cruise— 10th Avenue North, Mercy Me. They had John Lynch on as speaker. Pam and I had never been on a vacation, let alone a cruise. And we said, you know what? We're going to figure out how to do this. So we did. And we did it. And it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. There's been so many things, uh, so many things since then. You spent some time with John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Got to spend time with John. Actually, around. First the first day, John says, yep, Steve and I held court in Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. <laughs> we spent a whole day floating around just just hanging out and uh, it's it's just been amazing and mercy me took john on tour um last year they took him out on tour on road with them to deliver his two roads message uh youtube uh to the two roads message by john lynch fantastic and, and here's an interesting thing about our community this message that these guys put in the cure was originally, I think, the first time John Lynch gave the Two Roads message was to the Navigators in 2000, early 2000s. Hmm. And one of the members of our church was in the audience, and it was Joel, Joel Bunt. Hmm. And Joel got a bootleg cassette tape copy of the Two Roads message and brought it back here to Orange City. And it got turned burned onto a CD, and it had been passed around. I After I came here, I'd found out that this message is it's not like it was anything new here. Yeah. It sort of been passed around on CDs and stuff, and then the book kind of started showing up. And of course, Jan he buys it by the carton and hands them out like candy. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, and it's like you said, it's it's really, it's just these guys just put language to something that's 
that we miss in the scripture somehow. I could take you to the stretch of road in Crescent, Iowa, that I was on when I-29 was all ripped up from the flooding, and the, the and you had to do the detour down through Crescent, down to yeah. down to Dodge, West Dodge, East Dodge. Yeah. That was where I first heard, that was where I first put that CD in and played that, and then I played it a second time because my theological cap was on. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I don't know. This doesn't sound, <laughs> this sounds, sounds like greasy grace to me. But it made an impact. It made a huge impact on me. And I knew that that, that message developed out through a book was what was changing your life and the lives of others in our church as they were studying through that book. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. It's What's so interesting about it is, to me, when I look back over the past five years and, and our, how you and I have got to know each other and, the, and our interactions, and it's like when I came to Dover, because of Jan and how this message was presented to me, I thought I was walking into a, a grace church, I guess for lack of a better term. And there was shortly, you know, there was a time there after I first started coming here, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. But before I could bolt and run, you were making a seismic shift, I think, in the way you were looking at your teaching. And so... Yeah, yeah I was. Well, I had, at that point, I was done with two years, almost three years of seminary and was just reevaluating everything that I had preached for 20 yeah. years and really trying to figure this stuff out. And then the whole grace thing was something, of course, I know about grace. I mean, I've preached on this before, but... But it was different, you know. There was a different level. And then seeing it work in your life, and you kept hounding me. I was terrible. You would badger me. I mean, <laughs> I would get up. I would get up, pastors. You'll understand this. You get up on the platform, and you look out, and you see those two people that you know, if you don't say it right, they're going to come at you. And so everything you say, you kind of filter sometimes. Okay, what's this one going to think? What's that one going to think? Well, Steve was one of those oh, people. And, and he was just looking at it through the grace filter. Which, I mean, grace is it, right? I mean, Jesus said in John 1, this is the guy who is full of grace and truth, or John said of Jesus, full of grace and truth. So grace is pretty important, as important as truth. We know one without the other is any good. So I wanted my message to be soaked in grace and truth. And I was doing more truth, I think, for many years than I was doing grace. They weren't equal, yeah. and I had to bring that grace quotient up to equal the truth, and then maybe everything would be true. Everything. Yeah, everything. It's just, and I guess that's the thing is whatever I thought the church I was going to was but wasn't, it became that, and that's, um, that is just fascinating to me. And, and you became uh, more balanced in your yeah. view of the Christian life. Yeah. That it is soaked and steeped in grace, yep. but it's that's along with a lot of the other truths of Scripture as well. So you've been around over now. This fall is going to be five years. Yep. Your life has been different for five years, yep. and you haven't. It's just been really good. You haven't had many challenges. You've had it's been <laughs> uphill. I mean, it's been smooth sailing, oh my right? Gosh, yeah. You yeah. know, Steve. You think about the yeah. stuff we've been through together yeah. with other people in our church things we've tried to do, people that have joined us in things and we've rejoiced with, others who have fought us with yep. things and left the church. Yep. 
it's not been easy, has it? No, it's very difficult. That was one. That's the one thing I, I still am just in awe about is how difficult community can be. I mean, it's very life is easy when you're isolated, but it is also awful when so, you're isolated. When you're isolated, and so you insert yourself into a community, and all of a sudden, things are very messy. And that's the beautiful thing about the message of God's grace is that the messiness is okay and that it's that grace. And I'll never forget this, Jeff. This was, this was early on in our relationship, and I was in your office, and we were talking about, I don't remember what it was, but you drew that cross on the board, and you illustrated the cross as the vertical beam being our, our connection with God through which grace and love flow, and then the horizontal beam it represents our taking that gift from God and then giving that to those around us in community. That sim that symbol was so powerful to me. I think that was that was a marker for me, and it really sort of gave me a, a concrete illustration of what I felt like this was really all about. It's it's and part, so much of this is an ability to receive, um, hmm. because yeah. I you know I can't. I can't give I can't give you love unless you want to receive it. I look at our relationship with God and so many of us just think it's all about I'm serving God. I've got to do this for God. I've got this and that. God this God doesn't need anything from me other than my trust. He really doesn't. He just wants me to trust him. If I can just do that and relax a little bit with people and let them be who they are and let me and I be who I am and just we all just can receive from each other. I think we're so intent all the time about give, 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 and we fail to understand the importance of allowing ourselves to receive. And it's a lot like before we started this podcast tonight, you sort of scolded me and said, now, Steve, (laughs) you have a story that is important, and I do not want you deprecating yourself, and I don't want you making light of this as I'm wont to do. And so I had to receive that from you. I had to receive that from you. And it changed the way I came into this podcast even because I trust you and I'm willing to receive from you as my friend, as my pastor. This would have been a whole different podcast if you probably wouldn't have preceded it with that. Well, you know, I know you and and you sent me a text and you said, Man, I don't know, you might be crazy having me on the podcast and I just sensed that you weren't, you know, you're like I'm like you, Steve. I'm self deprecating and sometimes too much. Yeah. And I know the story. So just last week, Debbie and I went to your house you and and had an evening with you and Pam, yeah. and you grilled for us. Uh, you made a great meal for us. We sat out around the fire. You and I saw some shooting stars at the end of the Beautiful. night. Yeah. Some comet coming through, and and we had we had an awesome time. Yeah. And the friendship that you have given to me as a pastor is uh, is is an awesome gift. Oh, geez. And and what you have meant to our church both you and your wife, has been an awesome gift. And I, and I marvel. And pastors, I would pray and plead with God that every one of you listening would have a couple like this, several couples, but at least one couple like this in your church whose lives get changed just by the mere presence of the small church in the community. Amen. And by one guy saying, hey, 
you know what? I hear you're having a hard time. And we didn't tell the story that this guy, Jan, he had just a couple of years before that gone through his own bout with depression. Yeah. And under snow, it was a little different because everyone's is different. Yes. But he understood the depth of pain. See, so when, Pastor, when you go through the depth of pain that you go through in your ministry, you all of a sudden become an understander of somebody else's pain. And this guy understood, and he came to you, uh, Steve, and he said, let's talk. And that's all he did. Yep. He just used what he had. And he hands you this book. <laughs> this is... This is amazing to me that he hands you this book that in one night completely changes your world. And a couple years later, you're floating in the Caribbean with the author, (laughs) you know, enjoying time together and reveling in the common love of the Savior. Uh, That's the power of the small church. Don't tell me. Your stinking church is too small. Your sight, Pastor, and my sight is too small when we don't see what what God can do with any size congregation in any church and the lives that he can change. Now, Debbie and I have walked with you and Pam through some crazy stuff. Oh, man. And you guys have walked with us through some crazy stuff. You know, our son had that accident, and we sat wondering if he would live or die for several days. And you guys were there yeah. helping. You guys were there just just, just being there. It's the story that God's writing through the existence of small missional communities and small groups in large churches. Whenever a few people can get together and build a relationship, yeah. And give and receive love, God can do. So your story, Steve, is a story of the small church. Amen. You know, it your yep. your story is a story of the kind of a relationship a small church pastor can have with the people in his church. So now I want you to explain one thing as we wrap this up. Sure. There's this teaching that these cure guys, these cult leaders, <laughs> um, <laughs> There's this teaching that these guys have, and it goes something like this, and I want you to unpack this, okay. that that if I don't trust you, you can't love me. Right. And I'm thinking, that sounds weird. It that is. doesn't make any sense. You can do whatever you want to do. So if I don't trust you, I'm keeping you from loving me. Isn't it up to you to love me? So unpack that well, for a second. That is a, that is a little bit. <laughs> I think this is a real key in this whole it, message. It, it really is, and I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about be, our ability to receive. We are so apt and we're so taught to give, give, give that we forget that first in order to give we have to receive. And so where is the very first thing that we receive? It's going to be from God. I am not going to receive God's love and mercy and grace if I don't trust him. It's impossible for me to receive the life of Jesus if I'm not willing to trust him with my life. And that comes, and then we, you, you think about that relationship that we try to have with our Savior, and then look at that in the relationship with each other. How If I don't trust you with me, I'm not going to be able to receive your love because you're never going to know who I am. I am not going to let you know who I really am. One of the other things that these guys kind of, they have a lot of like these little things that they say. And one of them is, when I don't trust you, I'm going to have a mask on. And so only my mask is going to receive your love. 
It's only when I trust you enough to let you know the worst things about me, that I can bring the worst of me into the light with you, and I know and trust that you're not going to run from me, but you're going to love me more in me telling you the worst about me. That's how we get things into the light. That's how we break the cycle of sin in our lives. The only way I can bring the worst of me into the light with you is if I trust you with me. I can't do that with everybody. There's a lot of people that if I kind of told them the worst about me, they're going to run around and I'm going to get burned. So it's not like we can just do this with anybody, but everybody needs somebody they can do it with. And you, you just happen to be that I was lucky enough to have you as one of those friends that I got to do that with. It's the same between you and I on my side of it, that I get to be, that I, can, I don't have to wear a mask, and that I get to be honest with you and know that you're not going to condemn me, you're not going to judge me, you're going to maybe even love me more when you see my honest struggle and my honest sin and my honest pain. And so the book is called The Cure. Do you remember the the subtitle to it? Yeah, it's What If God Isn't Who You Think He Is and Neither Are You. Okay, What If God Isn't Who You Think He Is and Neither Are You. That would be an awesome book for your church to buy a couple cases of and have some small groups go through it and just pass that book out to others. At least for you, Steve, and your wife, Pam, it changed your life. And I don't think you guys are so odd that you know, you're an aberration in society, that it wouldn't change other people's lives. So no, there, this would be a great book. Yeah, there is. I have met so many people. Um, and, I, and, and, since, and I've given, I've come to be one of the guys that's given the book away. And you give it to some people and you don't hear anything. And that's pretty much most of the time. But every once in a while, you'll, it'll resonate. I just, a few weeks ago, I had a friend that I worked with at a former job who is a bipolar, struggles with bipolar and depression. He had put something on Facebook, and I private messaged him. And I said, hey, uh, Mike, I'm going to send you a copy of this book. And I mailed him a copy of The Cure. And like two weeks later, I'm setting up for a band gig, and my phone goes off, and it's Mike. And he is just, he is just, Steve, this book, he says, I've never looked at Scripture this way. He said, this changes everything. And he was in tears. And I mean, if I give a thousand books away, it was worth it for that one 10 minute phone call with my friend, Mike, that said, this, this is what this has just done for me. And I just want to go and tell all my friends about this wonderful love and grace that God has for us and not this angry, judgmental God that we tend to want to believe in. That is so cool. And and I was recently on a plane, and I saw a guy with the book with the cure. Oh, really? Yeah. This was maybe not six months ago. And uh, I so I texted John, and he got off the plane, and I wanted to get to him, and he got away before I could oh, get sh- to him. So I texted John, and I said, someone on the plane was reading The Cure. They got away before I could accost them. And I put a little <laughs> clowny face like I like to do, right? And John, here's John's reply. I would give so much money to see what you have seen, you know, to, to be on the plane and to see somebody actually reading his book. So well, how about for the small church pastor out there, Steve? All right. Uh, how about What that? kind of encouragement can you give if they're feeling like, you know, I wonder if what I'm doing is worth it. I'm wondering if, like, I don't have, what if they're saying, I don't have any Steve stories in my church? What would you say to them? I would say that the small, I think about, I've been to big, ever since I've been 
following Jesus, I've had the opportunity to go to some big concerts, some mega churches, and the small church is, there's nothing like the small church. Uh, there's just nothing like the small church, the small community. For here's, here's this. Here's my parting shot, okay? What if it was just less important that we fixed people and it was more important that things just didn't remain hidden? It's not our job to fix people. Our job is to love people and to let people bring the darkness into the light where they can be safe with it, a safe place to fail, a safe place where they can live and be loved and and be able to receive the love. Well, Steve, I would hope, again, that every pastor, men and women pastors, would have somebody in their life like I have in you, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that a lot. I love you. Johnny, I totally enjoyed that conversation with our buddy Steve. I'm I'm bummed, Jeff. I'm bummed that I was not there and able to be part of that conversation. Steve, like I said, Steve has made an impact on me and my ministry in very serious ways. And so I love Steve, and I am so glad that people get to hear his heart and his story and I'm glad that I get to hear his heart and his story as well. It's yeah, really a beautiful thing. Yeah, tomorrow. Thing. Yeah, well, I'm not going to pretend that I listened to it tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to listen to it tomorrow. Look, I know Steve's story, okay? I was no, there. Exactly. I lived it with him. But, exactly. Uh, but I, I look forward to listening to that whole interview. Well, see, this uh, is, that's what I makes no this doubt. one different. Because, you, yeah, you live through it. I mean, none of it's going to yeah. be news to you. But no. it's going to be encouraging just to hear it and to know that we got to be a part of life for change sure. with him for and sure Pam. that's like a pastor's greatest hope and aspiration oh, it is. isn't it greatest dream yeah so it's it's wonderful yeah. i think that's great absolutely yeah. well hey this was a long episode thanks for sticking with us through it and uh johnny it's good to see you on the uh, flattened screen and <laughs> I will be uh, heading your way in just a couple weeks. I can't wait. I look forward to it. I um, look forward to it. I'll be I'll be bringing down some equipment for you next week. Yes. Right. Maybe get a little boom boom mic action going in your in your office. I gotta I gotta get on it. Yeah. Oh, the boom mic that would be really high scale. <laughs> I'd like that a lot. If you're hey, if you're a really good boy, Johnny, I might buy you an extra boom. <laughs> <laughs> All my dreams are coming true. <laughs> That's funny. That's All awesome. Right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. And uh, next week is going to be a great episode with a small church pastor. Very encouraging. A guy who's been at his church for over 20 years. And he's going to tell his story next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church. So that hey, you know, let me um, feel free to move that to get yourself comfortable. I mean, you could sit back and you could pull it right oh, to you if you want. Are to, we, or... are we pause? No, but I'll just I'll oh, just oh, chop oh, this. Oh, I didn't know we could just like. Oh yeah, it's no problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do you remember what the last thing you just said? Yeah, it was the light Christ life in oh, yeah, me yeah, is pivotal. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
Okay. Bang. All right. Bang. So uh, Steve brought it. In fact, I told you got to listen to this episode because I'm gonna. I, he came down here and I told him. I said, "You listen to me. You bring it." You bring it in this episode. You have a story to tell, a story of life change. And if you use self-deprecation, you will be denig- uh, denigrating the cross of Jesus and denigrating the power of small church ministry. I said, I don't want you. But you bring it in this episode. And I wasn't kidding, right? And at the end, you got to hear what he says at the end because he basically says this episode. Did I bring it, he said... <laughs> This episode is a lot different than if you hadn't have told me that. He goes really. That, that, yeah, he goes that. That really gave me um, confidence to tell my story, and Steve did. No, this was this was good. That's good. That was no, really I look good. forward to it. Yeah. Okay. 